Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. But I didn't want to just jump into this series. For one, I don't think that we can. Uh, if we don't do the, the background context, then once again, it's just another book of Proverbs, if you will, where we're just kind of pulling from the surface what we see. And there is so much more uh, beneath the surface. And I know that <clears throat> many would think or maybe even um, feel as though that that's inappropriate, that we would say, man, what do you mean beneath the surface? Why would God hide something? Is it a mystery? Do, you know, it, it's not really about that. It's, it's the fact that, and I'll, I'll keep saying this and reiterating it, it's the fact that this time period is when God chose to reveal himself to man. Um, and so it is our due diligence to learn of the ancient Near East culture and to understand what he was saying to them because he didn't appear uh, to you in a pillar of, and, and maybe he did, I'm not sure, but uh, he didn't, to my knowledge, appear to you in a pillar of fire or, or a cloud. Um, and, and the sacrificial system is not something that comes natural to us. We literally, not to say that they didn't have pets, but we have a different relationship to animals than they did. I mean, would, would, can we agree to that? Uh, we, we, our relationship to animals is, would be completely foreign to them. Uh, there, it's like that, is it a reel or a TikTok, whatever, whichever one you consume, uh, but that one that's going around where it's like, you know, the typical dog or whatever, uh, you know, and you're like putting the water bowl or something like that down in front of the dog. And then it's like my dog and the dog is like on the couch perched and there's like a, you know, a table with a full spread and you're like feeding the dog and, you know, it's like a typical dog. And then my dog, you know, everybody has different levels at which you care for your animals. And I'm, I'm really, I would be the crazy one. You know what I mean? I would probably feed my dog before I feed my children. <laughs> Tell them, go fend for yourself. They're just a dog. They don't know, you know? Uh, but, Anyway, y'all pray for me. I think I'm going to, to, to meet a new dog here in the next two, two weeks, I think. Uh, and we're, we have a conference uh, down in Orlando that the leaders will be traveling to. Um, and the kennel that I got my first dog from is, is down 40 miles from Orlando. So while I'm down there, I'm going to be meeting a new, maybe a new family member. I don't know. Not sure if I'm ready yet, but, but we'll see. Uh, but that's just a, a point, that's a point right there in and of itself that we treat animals differently. This dog is not going to contribute to my uh, financial well-being. It's only going to take away from it. <laughs> you know, these folks, their animals were their livelihood, livestock. Uh, they contributed to the family's wealth, and that's how they viewed it, right? Uh, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying they didn't have some that were pets, but culturally speaking, an animal was, you know how you open up your, your app and you look at your bank account? That's what theirs is. You know, when, when they open up their app and look at their bank account, that's them looking out on their field. That's their finances. That's their livelihood. That's their wealth. Uh, so, so it was different, um, <laughs> 
that's not what I look at. I just, it's basically like dogs are like, you know, money flying off into the wind and you never, you never get it back. Um, but our cultures are different. They're very different. Uh, and so it's not about God hiding something from us. It, it's about us being diligent to rightly divide the word of truth. And so, uh, look, I can say, and I can especially say things to this crowd because it's not on the live stream. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about that here in just a second. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I've come from, from a long line of independent Baptists, and overall, they are very much a movement. It is very much a movement, the people that are a part of it. Foresee or basically... Everything runs through a filter. That's probably a better way to say it. Everything runs through a filter. And the filter is called the King James Bible. And um, I have nothing against the King James Bible. I love the King James Bible. Um, I probably, I, there's no question, I have more of the King James Bible memorized than any other version of scripture out there. Um, but that being said, I have to look and understand that the Bible wasn't written in English. I mean, that's, that's a concept for folks that come from my background. It's very hard for us to wrap our heads around that. It took me a long time to wrap my head around the fact that the Bible was not written in English. These English words that you're seeing are man's, uh, man's ability, sometimes inability, to take the, the words of what they have, some of them scraps, some of them other Bibles and other languages, like the Septuagint, and put them, piece them together, trying to be faithful, men that were much smarter than I, men that had, you know, three to four languages that they knew and understood. And then they tried to, to put this puzzle together, so to speak. And I don't believe in double inspiration. I don't believe that those men were doing an inspired work. I believe that those men were led by God. I believe that the Holy Spirit could give them wisdom but God wasn't giving them English words to give to us. God chose his people that he would give them his words to them. And everything from that is something that has been passed down. And, and I think for some, it's like, I don't want the fear of saying that it's passed down because if we try to pass anything down, we mess it up. And, and the message isn't the same. But God promised to preserve his word. And so therefore, it's not just a, it's not just us relying on men, it's also God working and God moving. But if we take a position that elevates man's work above what God is doing, then we're on shaky ground. If I say that the King James Bible is the only inspired and errant word of God, that's a really strong position to take. Watch this that's also had seven revisions, somewhere around the 17, 1800 mark when God has been working for 4,000 years up to this point. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why is mine different than the last 4,000 years of what God has been given? Not to mention this is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. So therefore, if we elevate something above where it should be, then we will in turn read something in a context or in a way that it wasn't meant to be written or read. And that's been my concern. 
is I want to be people of the book. I want to be people of the Bible. And what does that mean? It means we're people that study and people that understand. None of us are scholars. I mean, maybe there is a scholar visiting here. And if you are, I'm so glad you're here and I love you. Uh, My point is, is most of us, most of us do not give our entire lives to scholastic study, linguistic study, right? The man that's passing away that will probably die this week, whom whom I look up to more than anybody, has taught me more of the, in, in his podcast than I ever learned in Bible college. He is a biblical scholar. He has done the work and is doing the work. And there are other biblical scholars, and we can thank God that God called some people, not just pastors, but what, what would we classify those as? Teachers. And we can be grateful for their lifelong work, and we can learn and glean. And so this, this is, here's a statement from <clears throat> another Another pastor that I like, you don't know what you don't know. Some pastors that are so, and I would say even arrogant to say that what they are saying is it, and it is the biblical interpretation, they just don't know what they don't know. They've not been exposed to people that have said, look, I'm an expert on Egyptian hieroglyphics and religion and ancient Near East worldview, and that's just not what it says, right? But you have a pastor that is not that way, and I'm fairly open to a lot of things. And I think that the, the crux is, is that I know what, what my tier one theological issues are. I know what the non-negotiables are. Everything else, it's like, okay, great. What does it mean? What's there to learn? And I'll, and I'll say this, since having that mentality and that mindset, the Lord has just really worked in my life and in my heart so much more. The word of God has come alive. Things like the Bible Project, you ought to be like watching and listening to every podcast they put out and you ought to be watching that stuff with your kids, with your grandkids, at home, on your TVs. It's never been easier. My wife and I discussed this week, we're reading through a, a, a version of Pilgrim's Progress that's written uh, like animals for the kids and we're walking through that kind of in our devotional time as a family. And I told her, I was like, next up, oh, we have two. We have one book that she ordered last week that I'm really excited about. It's like the, the warrior kid from Jocko. I'm like, I'm so ready. Like, man, gotta get these kids, you know, let's, let's swim upstream here. Uh, but, but another one is we're gonna start some Bible project videos with them. I'm like, look, their kids are sponges. They're gonna watch some of these things. They're gonna understand biblical literature um, and, and we're gonna teach them that. But what I'm saying is, is it's available, it's on YouTube. It's, it's there. Biblical scholars like Tim Mackey, who is a Hebrew scholar, legitimately, has the letters behind his name to prove it, loves the Lord, is faithful to the text, and he's not pastoring a church. He's just putting out content for the church. And so it's available um, now more than ever. Uh, there's no excuse for us. And so that should also, you know, antennas should go up when you hear preaching and teaching where pastors are saying things like, this is what it says, and I don't care what anybody else, really? I don't think scripture is for private interpretation, actually. And I think Peter said that. And, and if anything, are any of us that confident in our abilities that we're gonna take that approach to scripture? Not me. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, so anyway, uh, this kind of like getting a running start, it's important. Uh, and, and I don't know that we've ever tackled uh, a book like Exodus. Uh, it's huge. It's a, it's a big task. Uh, but I, I want us to have the same kind of mindset and thought as we approach these books. 
in the text. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump in and I hope you're ready uh, to, to dive into the life of Abraham a little bit more. Father, we need you. We are so eternally grateful that you set your affection on us, on humankind, that you made us in your image and that heavenly father, you have pursued us endlessly even when we have continued to walk away and sin and fall. Father, you continue to come and pursue and save and redeem and deliver us. Father, you are the God of the Exodus. And so, Father, I pray that as we approach this study, you would, Holy Spirit, move and guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you missed last week's message, this week won't make much sense. Um, So you definitely need to go back and listen to uh, last week, and this builds on one week from the next. I don't have a lot of time to um, intro or talk about what we talked about last week, uh, other than just to say, go listen to last week's message. And this is a repetitive work. The God of the Exodus, Yahweh, is the God of the Exodus. And there are three different Exodus themes throughout Scripture. And, and all of that is, is in there. And uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is the backdrop for why we are in exile. Genesis 1 through 11 has the fall, the Genesis 6, sons of God characters causing the flood, and then the Tower of Babel. Um, We could interpret in that term Babylon. It was the gateway to the gods, the ziggurat, where they were building with these bricks. Um, You know, the Lord... The Genesis 11 Tower of Babel fits into the Deuteronomy 32 explanation, uh, and I would venture to say Deuteronomy 32 worldview, where God clearly turns over the, uh, the, the, the men and women of this world, those that were building the Tower of Babel, it was a collective thing with all of those communities in the ancient Near East. The Lord clearly turns them over to the gods of this world. He, he accounts for 70 nations that he turns over to the gods of this world, and then he chooses what? One. Yahweh chooses one nation as his portion and disinherits the other nations. It's found in Deuteronomy 32. My, um, my suggestion is that Deuteronomy 32 and Genesis 11 are parallel, and I think it's so clear. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so who is this character that God chooses to call out these people. It is none other than who? Father Abraham. So Abraham is this character that God chooses. He is in the land of Ur, the Ur of the Chaldeans. We could also interpret where he is. Uh, The narrator of the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible, the Genesis and Exodus piece, the narrator is trying to paint this picture that he's coming out of Babylon is that he was a part of the ecosystem in Mesopotamia where God disinherited the other nations and called Abraham what? Out of that nation. And so that sounds a lot like a what? Huh? Sounds a lot like an exodus. Oh man, they put the scripture up there. It sounds, it sounds a lot like an exodus. That's what it is. And so this exodus story and this exodus theme is gonna repeat. Now, I gotta crank it up into high gear. Are you ready? We're gonna talk about Abraham in depth today. And we're gonna go on a journey through his life. And and then by the time we get to the end of the the sermon here, hopefully our brains don't explode and we'll be ready to receive an application. But remember, 
Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, God disinherits them because they were trying to make a what for themselves. They were trying to make a name for themselves. Abraham comes from the line of Shem. Shem meaning the name. And so when God chooses a people, he's literally saying, you will be my people. These, these terms of Abraham coming from the line of the name, it, it really shows the narrative that God had this in mind what? All along. God knew that he would have to choose a people. God would have to make a selection, if you will. He would have to, through election, redeem the world. Now, some people believe in election in a very narrow sense. I would say that God's election in Scripture is absolutely there, but it is in a collective sense. And, and therefore, God chooses Abraham coming from the line of the name because Abraham, watch this, essentially was nameless. Abraham was willing to receive and accept the name of God. And what we see is God turns his family and his name into something great. All right, let's take a swig, Renny. <laughs> All right, let's jump in. God's character and attribute, all of this should be in your program. God's character and attributes are changeless. Even before delivering the Israelites out of Egypt, he was the God of the Exodus. As we study the Exodus of Abraham before the Exodus of the Israelites, uh, one will lead into the other. Now, Genesis 12, two, you ready? After Genesis 11, the Lord gives Abraham's genealogy, and then we hit the ground running. Genesis 12, 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your, do we have that verse? I think you just threw it up there a second ago. Genesis 12, 2. They're just, you gotta, every now and then, you gotta crack the whip on knucklehead back there. And it ain't Ryan, it's Cody. If you put Ryan in the seat, everything will go all right. It's not just the announcements he was fumbling. Man. <laughs> uh Look at this. I will make your what great? Do you see the connection? This is the statement for the Exodus theme, right? Once you see it, you can't what? You can't unsee it. I'll make your name great, and you will be a what? A blessing. The longing for every human being is to be known. We all find our end in the Lord himself, as he has promised through the Abrahamic covenant to make his name known through us, our chief end is found in Yahweh. Look, we live in a society, in a world that everybody just wants to be known. I just want my video to go viral. I want to be TikTok famous. You know, the older I get, the, the like, that, become, that is like literally the most detestable thing in the world to me. <laughs> There's like probably not anything that I don't want. I can't even say this right. <laughs> There's nothing that I don't want less than for a viral video. The whole thing, it's like at some point, you don't know what you don't know. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. All my little colloquialisms right here. But once, once you see the big social network for what it is, it's like you're literally just feeding off people's desire to be known. It's disgusting. It's really sick. And really, when that's not enough, when it's not enough for people to just say, look, this is how you, you, you can be known. This is your route to fame and fortune, if you will, from a dopamine level like and follow perspective, then if that's not what you want, you can just compare yourself with other people. If you're not famous, at the very least, you can just look at everybody else that's in your social class or right above it and gripe and complain and compare. It's really not healthy, is it? It's really not. 
What happened to just living the life that God gives us, whatever that may be? Paul, whether I'm abased, whether I'm abound, whether I'm full, whether I'm hungry, you know, look, it doesn't matter. I, I can be content. Social media crushes that. Of course, it's a necessary evil in our society as society continues to go the direction that it's going. But my point, my perspective is that Abraham, God said, I will make your name great. This, this idea, this, this philosophy, because we were made in God's image, we are made for relationship. We are made for community and, and mankind or womankind alike just have the desire to be known. We have the desire to be seen and heard and loved. If your relationship sucks, if your marriage is awful, chances are you've stopped knowing your spouse, and I don't mean in a biblical sense, right? It's it's more about seeing them and hearing them and listening and conversing and continuing to get to know them. When we say statements like, well, I already know them. I mean, I've been with them for years, centuries, (laughs) The old ball and chain's polished up, I tell you. <laughs> what, what are we saying? We're saying we don't want to get to know our spouse anymore. We know enough. When at the very heart and desire of every human being is just to be known. I promise you, it's, if you want a better relationship, continue to get to know things about your spouse every day. Every day, if you strive to learn something about them, you will find that your relationship just got better. Why? Because we have a desire to to be known. Abraham sees that Yahweh knows him and Yahweh wants to continue in relationship with him. While the nations of the world were seeking a name for themselves, Yahweh tells Abraham that through him, Genesis 12, three, watch this, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I think that, once again, the church can misinterpret this verse and have a a really strange, unhealthy connection to Israel specifically because clearly the church has been grafted into that family. That was the idea. But then towards the end of Abraham's life, watch this, Genesis 22, verse 18, it says, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. It really is simple, isn't it? It really is simple. And how do I know what God wants me to do? How do I live in God's will? It's really not a mystery. You just have faith and obey. Remember the old hymn? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. It's, it's really not complicated. You got a guy who's a nobody, and God calls him out and says, I'm gonna give you a name, and through your name, my name will be great through you and all the nations of the world will be blessed. God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Hang in there with me. Come on now. You're like back to seminary class. <laughs> yep. An ancient Mesopotamian man along with his wife, Sarai, out of exile and initiated a relationship that would be the first of many. Abraham is the first fruits of the Exodus. Now watch this, Genesis 15, 7, and we've been drawing parallels between Genesis and Exodus, watch. He also said to him, this is the Lord talking to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Exodus 20, verse two, I am the Lord your God. Remember Lord Yahweh, same difference. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt 
out of the place of slavery. The same God of Abraham was the same God of the Israelites, the Exodus. He treats it and sees it as the same. It's a what? Continuation. Does everybody see it? Same wording. What does that mean? The narrator is trying to connect the two stories together. The Exodus pattern can be strongly seen in the life of Abraham. Now, what I'm about to read to you, do not go to sleep. This is uh, Genesis 15. This is known as the Abrahamic covenant. How many have heard of the Abrahamic covenant? Anybody? Great, wonderful. How many know what it's all about? Few of you. Okay, all right. We're gonna read this. It's a little strange. It still was a little strange to me. And then this author, L. Michael Morales, uh, really shed some light on it for me. Uh, And so hopefully it will for you as well. Genesis 15, five through 21. You ready? Let's go on this journey together. He took him outside, God and Abraham, and he said, look at the sky, count the stars. If you were able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Pretty crazy. I'd be like, Lord, I can't afford that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I I can't afford the four that I got. You know what I'm saying? Kids are expensive, aren't they? And I feel like it's not getting any better. Like the older they get, is, can I get a, testif- a testimony on that? Does it get worse? It gets worse, doesn't it? Man, I thought it was bad. Whew, it just gets worse. My goodness. Anyway, um, what's going on here? I'm going to make them like the stars, and you're going to be broke. <laughs> no, no, he, he takes care of them here. Abraham believed the Lord, and, and he credited it to him as righteousness. That sounds a lot like what was said in Hebrews. It's simple faith, right? Let's keep going. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. That's an Exodus story. Do you see it? I'm the God of the Exodus. I'm the God that is selecting and bringing people out systematically from the mess that this world has created. How many are thankful that there's a God of the Exodus? Come on. I'm like, Lord, take me out right now. Let's keep going. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So we brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the bird in half. Birds of prey came setting. Uh, A a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in the land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. I'm just gonna hit the pause button right here. The Lord prophesies that they're gonna be in the land of Egypt enslaved. Do you see that? Plain and simple. And it says 400 years. Therefore, any of us that read Exodus and we think that the Pharaoh of the Joseph story is the same or in line to the next Pharaoh of the Exodus story where Moses is, it can't happen. It's a separate Pharaoh with 400 years in between. And that's prophesied right here. That's important for the dating piece. Let's keep going. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterwards they will go out with many possessions. Do not miss that. During the Abrahamic covenant, God says, the Israelites will leave Egypt with many possessions. 
What did we read last week in the beginning of Exodus? It says that they were in the land, they were multiplying, and they were fruitful, and Pharaoh said, we gotta do something about this, right? But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here for the antiquity of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. When the sun had said it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. Remember, he cut them in half, right? This is a, a picture of something. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Raphaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the Abrahamic covenant. A closer look from Jeremiah shows the practice of passing between the pieces of the animal for a covenant. Watch this, Jeremiah 34, 18. As for those who disobeyed my covenant, not keeping the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat them like the calf they cut in two in order to pass between its what? Its pieces. Listen to this excerpt from a, a recent book that I'm reading, um, recommended by Cody, really good book. Plunged into and delivered out of this night of darkness and deathly terror, Abram had experienced a foretaste of Israel's exodus. Through this vision, Yahweh assured Abram that he would indeed deliver his children out of foreign oppression. And more, he showed him how that deliverance would be accomplished through the blood of sacrifice. The seed of Abram would pass through the walls of death. Yahweh's passing through the pieces in Genesis 15, 17 is described in the next verses as his making a covenant with Abram. By its association with this ceremony, Israel's Passover meal obtains a covenantal character and celebrates first of all God's faithfulness to the nation's patriarch. And that's from Exodus Old and New by uh, L. Michael Morales. Just as Yahweh would pass, listen to this, just as Yahweh would pass through the death of the animal, the children of Israel would pass through the death and chaos of the walls of water with the plunder from Egypt. The same picture in the Abrahamic covenant, take those animals, part them, remember the Passover, the killing of Egypt's firstborn, the death angel would pass over the Israelites if the blood was applied to the doorposts. It's all a picture of Passover. And then from that, listen, when Yahweh makes a covenant with Abraham, he splits the two in part. What does that mean? It means something because of this covenant, something has to die. Because of the sin of the people, the original exile, remember Genesis 1 through 11, because of the backdrop of pain and suffering, because of the backdrop of rebellion and disobedience and Cain, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? Uh, the fig leaves weren't enough. God had to cover them in skins. What does that mean? Something had to what? Die. When death comes, Yahweh says, we will pass through that death unto life. This is the story of Exodus. If we get and capture the story of Exodus, we'll understand the cross. If we fully comprehend the Abrahamic covenant, we will understand the gospel covenant that is merely an extension or a retelling of the story. And God says to Abraham, 
Well, in a vision, in a deep sleep, in a trance that Abraham finds himself, he sees the pillar of cloud of smoke and of fire pass through the sacrifice. And so Yahweh says that your descendants, your offspring will pass through. Remember, in ancient Near East, the water was a picture of death and chaos. So as the Reed Sea is parted and the children of Israel pass through on on dry ground, what is that? It's literally a reenactment of the Abrahamic covenant. Do you see it? Do you see it, church? He passes through. More than just the covenantal bond and transcendent message through the vision, Abraham literally walked through the Exodus story with his wife in a real way. It only gets better. It's 10.01. We're doing great on time. Here's what I'm saying to you. Don't miss this. Abraham's covenant was a picture of the Exodus story. You think that's enough? That's enough. Yeah, God, we get the point. My my ancestors, they're going to be like the stars in the sky. They're going to go in captivity for 400 years, and then after that, you're going to take them out of the death and chaos waters and into the promised land. Yeah, is that enough? No, it's not enough. The Lord says, I'm going to make this abundantly clear. Abraham, you're going to actually go through this story, you and your wife before the covenant isn't enough, before the children of Israel go through it, I'm gonna show this in real time. Really? Oh yeah, let's read the story. Genesis 12, 10 through 20, are you ready for this? I always thought this was just like such a really uh, bonehead move of Abraham, like what we're about to read this story. I don't know if you're familiar with it, with him going to Egypt. I was like, man, why would he do that? And I totally missed and blanked, Mike, that this is literally the Exodus story. It's a reenactment. It's not about Abraham being dumb. It's about, once again, God is using Abraham to teach us the lesson of the Exodus. Abraham is a pawn. Abraham is a willing vessel. Don't miss that. He knows where he came from. He knows that God's promise is good. Watch this, you ready? Genesis 12, 10 through 20, there was a famine in the land. Can anybody tell me why Joseph ended up in Egypt in the first place? Because there was a what? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ready? There was a famine in the land. So Abram, Abram went down to where? Egypt. To stay there for a while because the famine was in the land. The famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Let me explain something to you. (laughs) When there arose a Pharaoh in the land that knew not Joseph, he said, let all the women Israelites live that they may be our slaves, and you are to kill all of the what? The males. It's a reenactment. Come on, follow, follow, right here. And and we're going to see this in detail when we start going through Exodus. But, but I'm telling you, it's the same story. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, look, look, kill him, let her live. Please say, you're my sister. So it will go well for me because of you. And my life will be spared on your account. We know that Moses' life was spared because of a woman. Putting him into the water. Uh When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her, praised her to Pharaoh, so that the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well, 
because of her. And Abraham acquired, ready, flocks, herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe what? Sound familiar? Abraham literally has a vision that they're gonna leave Egypt. The Lord will allow them to pass through the chaos waters of death and they will have the plunder of Egypt. They will have great possessions. Abraham goes there during a famine, gets all the wealth. The Lord flips the script on Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh, that's not your wife. That's Abraham's wife. And she is gonna be the the mother of all of this nation, Sarah. And so the plagues start happening. So Pharaoh sent for Abraham and he said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now here is your wife, take her and what? Uh Uh-huh. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. It's literally the same story. Not only is it present in the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham walks through it himself and he leaves Egypt with all of the spoils. Perhaps the most significant story in Abraham's life, though, that presents us with the need of Passover. So how many have seen this before? Like the fact that literally the Exodus story was told in Abraham's life. Isn't that pretty cool? It's like literally the Lord showing us systematically what's going to happen before it happens. Sounds like a prophetic word, right? Now, the last piece that we're gonna talk about in Abraham's life, Passover and the Exodus story go hand in hand. And we're gonna learn more about Passover and I'm not gonna get into it too much because we're really gonna go into detail when we study through Exodus, we're gonna study the Passover. But when we, when we understand that the basic need for sacrifice because of the backdrop of Genesis one through 11, because of the fall, because of the watcher's sin with mankind, because of the Tower of Babel incident, man making a name for themselves, Passover is needed. The, the idea of a sacrifice, the idea of bloodshed, the idea that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin, right? So these are all intricately connected to the Exodus story. Now, this next story, I've had a hard time reconciling it in my own mind. And in fact, I've avoided it. Since having children, I read the story about Abraham and Isaac, and I'm like, it just doesn't compute with me. Anybody else track with that? I'm like, I'm literally reading here how God tells Abraham to kill his only son and sacrifice him. And I'm like, nope. I'd be like, I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. But it's a covenant, a covenant that should not be broken. And the Lord has provided for him every step of the way. So there's something else at play here. And I knew I was missing something. And I know that it's my arrogance to look at this passage and go, no, God, I I wouldn't do that. When if God called me out and led me all this way, which is what he's done to me now for, for my life, who am I to look at God? If every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, then it's really not mine anyway. It's just his for me to steward. But at the same time, I'm telling you, it still wasn't enough for me. I was like, man, I just can't, I can't get there. You know what I mean? I can't get there, I can't get there. This week while I was studying it, I got there. And I was like, ah, oh, 
There was one line that I missed, first of all, um, and I've read, I don't even know how many times I've read this through my life, but one line that I missed, and then when I connect this to the narrative of the Exodus story and the Passover, I'm like, I got it. This makes sense. Remember, Abraham's life is a retelling. It's a reenactment, but really it's the first time. Does that make sense? We zero in on the Exodus when the children of Israel are led out of Egypt. We don't zero in on the fact that Abraham was led out of Egypt. We zero in on the Passover story where the firstborn of Egypt, what? Dies, and we're okay with it because they're the enemy. Come on now. Pharaoh got what was what? Coming to him. He was stubborn. He was wicked. He served other gods, but he lost his firstborn. And the children of Israel they did not lose their what? Their firstborn. Their firstborns what? Lived. I wonder why. And in my mind, I'm going, okay. Their firstborns actually die. The children of Israel's live. Why? Remember, Abraham is the first fruits. Guess what Jesus is? He's the first fruits. Jesus is the firstborn among many. When we connect the story of the Passover, those, those children of Pharaoh died because of their sin. But the children of Israel lived because the death of a what? Of a lamb. And that was foretold in the Isaac story. And so the, the, the story connects. It's literally an exact picture of the gospel where the firstborn, Jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. And so we understand that God turned his back, killed, poured out his wrath on his only begotten son, knowing that he would in turn defeat death and redeem his son, deliver his son from the bondage of death because he was yet God, so that everyone that turns and looks upon Jesus after would, and, and declares their loyalty to them, would go free. This story of Passover is Isaac, li listen to me, if by Abraham all the nations will be blessed, if by Abraham his nation will be like the stars of the sky, we already know that the enemy tried to circumvent that through a servant woman, servant woman having a baby, right? Hagar and Ishmael, and God said no. And God gave her a blessing too, which is the Lord's grace at work. But the point is, is I promised that through your seed of you and Sarah will come this nation. And so here's, what, here's what's blowing my mind, right? The Lord tells Abraham to kill the very thing that would fulfill the promise. Are you with me? God tells Abraham, Abraham already knew that Isaac's, stay with me, he already knew that Isaac's birth was miraculous. Sarah was in her old age. I can't have a baby when I'm 90. It ain't working like that, you know what I'm saying? She laughed too, remember? She was like, huh? It, the plumbing's gone. <laughs> so a miraculous birth, sound familiar? A miraculous birth that brings Isaac into the picture and then Abraham feels the weight. Abraham feels the weight and he says, this is something that took a miracle, God. This is something that literally took a miracle and God, all your promises hinge on who? Him. 
and you're telling me to kill him? That sounds upside what? Down. Sounds like something else I know. Let's read the passage, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see it in all its glory, right? Genesis 22, 1 through 18, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He answered, take thy son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land Moriah, don't miss that, and offer him there as a burnt offering, one on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for the burnt offering and set out to go and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, <laughs> Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Here's the line I missed before. What's it say? And then we, we'll, we will. I, miss, I don't know why I missed that before. Abraham knew that no matter what, even though God was commanding him to kill Isaac, that Yahweh had the, the ability to resurrect him. Do you see that? Abraham had every intention of obeying God and had every intention of the Lord fulfilling his promise. It is both. When we look at the crazy things that God asks us, to, uh, asks us to do, we have to both understand that number one, God is able to perform miracles. God is able to do and has always done the very things that we are not able to do and therefore will fulfill his promise. He, he could therefore plunge the knife into his son and, and go through utter pain but still have confidence that God could bring his son back to life. He says, we'll be back. Oh my goodness. Abraham had faith to come out of the land and he had faith to do the hard thing. Do you see it? Let's keep reading. It gets better. Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac in his hand. He took the fire and the knife and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his, to his father, Abraham, and said, my father. And he replied, here are my son. Isaac said, the, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He's starting to get hip to what's going on. Uh, hey, dad. Yes, yeah, son. Aren't we going up to worship? Yeah. I see the fire. I see the wood. Where's the lamb? And he looks over him like Clarice. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, look, son, this, is, uh, this isn't going to end well for you. <laughs> Abraham, <laughs> it's heavy. I had to give a little joke there. Abraham answered, don't miss this. God what? <sighs> Just gives me chills. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on top of the altar and on top of the wood. <laughs> and mind you, Abraham's old, and Isaac, by all estimations, is around 33 years old, about the age that Jesus was when he was crucified. 
So don't you think Isaac could have overtaken his old man? Yeah. So we see that Isaac is just as willing as Abraham was. Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord God called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here am I. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. That's the key. God knew that in order for this thing to work, in order for the story to continue, what needed to happen is just Abraham needed to fear him. Abraham needed to have a reverence and an understanding that it is Yahweh's name that he is building. And and at that moment, Abraham was faced with losing everything that he had worked for. Do you understand that? His son is the legacy. All that he built, none of it would be worth anything if he did not have someone to take the torch. In their culture, in their generation, the firstborn son was everything. And, and God is saying, here's what, I'm, here's what I need to know. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Abraham, if I call you and I need the very thing that you think is necessary, I need you to surrender that to me. You see, God is leading us, and at some point after God's blessings, after God's touch, after God's miracles, maybe at some point we lose sight and we go, okay, God, maybe maybe you are who you say you are. And what happens is we become enamored with the things of God rather than the God of the things. We become enamored with the fact that now I've got wealth and now I've got a son and we can't forget the fact that we've got it all because he gave it to us. Man, I just need to know that you fear me. This is Shabbat. This is rest. This is Sabbath. This is everything. I need you to know that if you stop working, whatever I'm going to do, I will Fulfill it. It is not on you. It is on me. Ah, so good. The angel of the Lord. Ah, back up one. Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. That's Jehovah Jireh. Or Yahweh Yireh, we say it. I know my Hebrew pronunciation isn't that good, but the song Jireh, it's really Yireh, Yahweh. The Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Don't miss that, Mount Moriah. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you. Make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. We serve an incredible God, but at some point, if we forget who he is and we're satisfied with the things that he gives us, the Lord will. He'll pull the plug on your blessing. Why do I know that? Jeremiah They were unwilling, so therefore they are now in the covenant. They are now the picture of the dead animal because they're not fulfilling. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? In the Abrahamic covenant, what Abraham thought was bringing death was actually bringing life. Be willing to give God whatever God asks for, and God will continue to carry out his promise. Man, the opposing forces are worried with making a name for themselves. Abraham is faced with murdering the very essence of his name and future. We see here an incredible progression out of the exile requires complete trust and reliance on Yahweh. Yahweh had already passed through the death of the sacrifice and came out on the other side as the pillar of cloud and fire, proving that Yahweh would provide life out of death and that our, that our exile had produced. We have to remember the reason why we're in exile is because of us, not because of God. The reason why we're, we're needing an exodus, the reason why we approach this book is the backdrop of the Genesis 1 through 11 narrative. This story is a prefigurement of Passover, and Passover is a prefigurement of the cross. Every story of exile and exodus from exile in scripture points to the ultimate exodus that humanity can experience by being buried with Christ in his death and raised to life through the power of the gospel. Do you see it, church? We are buried in baptism and raised to walk in newness of what? Life. It's an Exodus story. Hebrews 11, eight through 12, it says, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. Come on up, ladies. So he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Somebody say amen. <laughs> By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age. Since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful, therefore from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of the seashore. I want to share with you this. I saw this this week too. You know the place where Abraham, just begin to play, you're fine. You know the place where Abraham took Isaac up was Mount what? Mount Moriah. The Passover series of sacrifices, the sacrificial system that we're gonna learn about. Listen to me, church, was Mount Moriah. That's where the first altar where someone, Isaac, would have been killed. Watch this. Second Chronicles 3.1, then Solomon began to build the Lord's temple in Jerusalem on Mount what? Where the Lord had appeared to his father, David, at that site, David had prepared the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. I want you to understand something. David prepared everything. David had all the building materials for, for the temple of God for Solomon to begin building it. David couldn't build it because his hands were hands of war, bloody hands. Bloody hands could not build the temple of God. And so when I looked at that, I was like, wait a minute. That place wasn't picked by David. That place was picked by God. 
passed down through generations, when you choose to make the sacrifice, when you choose to fear God and do what no one else will do, that place is significant. That place is a place that your children will look back to. That story, that story of sacrifice that Abraham said, it doesn't matter. I will plunge the knife. Why? Because I know that I wouldn't have him if it wasn't for you. And I know if I don't give this to you, I can't do anything without you. I can't continue. I can't birth a nation. I need you, God. And God said, yes, you do. But I love you, Abraham. And I will make a way. And there was a ram in the bush, a ram that they took out of the bush and sacrificed on Mount Moriah. And that would be the place. That would be the temple mount. Here's what I'm saying, church. What is God leading you to do? And that place that will be significant for your family for generations to come. Do you see the the trickle down effect? We could talk about the temple, but we first have to talk about Eden, God's original temple, the garden when we were expelled. But listen, here's what I'm saying. (laughs) Mount Moriah is the exodus. It is the moment where God says, I'm meeting with you again. Yes, something has to die. But ultimately, I'm telling you, it's really me who's dying for you. We serve a great. Number one, Abraham surrendered his life completely to God. Do you see that? Completely. Abraham didn't allow his new life to change his obedience. He was a man of significant wealth, scripture says. He left Egypt with plunder. But guess what? Even though he had it, he still obeyed like he did. Number three, Abraham's purpose was directed by God's promise. Abraham's purpose was directed by God's promise. When God asks you to do something that you don't think makes sense, let your purpose be directed by his what? His promise. He knew that he could take a step forward and obey God in something that he really didn't think he could do himself because he knew that Yahweh was the God of promise. Hey church, it's time we let our purpose align with God's promise. Maybe it's been years since you've said, Lord, I'm submitting to your promises. Can I help you with something? The God of the promise knows your name. The God of the promise wants to make a way for you. He promised to Abraham, and guess what? We're one of those stars. Do you understand that? Do you see it, church? God wants to lead you out. If you say, well, look, I, I just can't. I can't get victory over that sin. Yeah, you can Do you understand that your purpose can be aligned with this promise? This morning, we're gonna take communion. And and here's, here's, I just, we've talked about communion this whole message inadvertently. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're seeing that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Jesus Christ coming, what, what Abraham understands now in eternity is that God didn't have him kill Isaac because God had already in eternity killed who? Jesus. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the what? Of the world. God is never asking you to do something that he hasn't already done, completed, and fulfilled. We have got to step back and see the bigger picture. 
Paul calls us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to remember. Paul calls us to examine ourselves so that we're not guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And what what does that do? It allows us to pass through the chaotic waters. As, As Yahweh passed through the divided sacrifice, what else has to die in your life before you realize, no, this death of Jesus is so that I could pass through to life. We live in sin, and sin brings what? Death. Yahweh is saying the path of blood has already been paved by my son. Nothing else in your life has to die. You can follow who? Jesus. The ultimate exodus. I hope you see this clearly today like I saw it this week. It's just, once you see it, you can't what? You can't unsee it. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.